Hello, everybody, and welcome to, back to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. I am Rick, and I am joined today with Stieg Johansson. Uh, did I pronounce that properly? Yeah. Okay, did great. It well, I, well enough. Uh, fair enough. As long as it's passable, as long as it doesn't offend you. No, I don't get offended. <laughs> or, okay. I, I've I don't been know. I've worse things than my name. <laughs> I, I'm sure that is true, but I don't know. I, I there, there are definitely ways to offend somebody with the pronunciation of their name. Oh, well, uh, not not here. <laughs> All right, so, perfect. Uh, yeah. So how, how are you doing? Doing quite well, uh, waking up. It's nice. uh, 7.30 in the morning here in Norway, so... Uh, mm-hmm. Bit of a time zone difference. For... Yeah. Uh, so you are a very unique kind of designer that we have in the guild. You are actually a writer for Dungeons & Dragons um, campaigns. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, kind of. Um, the don't don't be afraid the, of being pedantic. Uh, like if if, uh, if I got <laughs> that wrong in any way, uh, you know, no, cl- clear no, you, the you got it right. But it's okay. not you know officially Dungeons and Dragons. I think because it's oh. not published by Wizards or the Coast. Oh, I see. It's, uh, yeah, so, so it, was, it was a small um, fringe company that I worked for that made products that use the Dungeons and Dragons rules. So I, I was writing um, setting books and lore, uh, adventure modules, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. How, how did that, how do you get into something like that? Like, did they find you or did you apply for something or were, did, were you writing beforehand? Like, how do you, how do you get into this sort of thing? Um, <laughs> by being Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the guy was working on uh, a Viking area of his, you know, game world, and he started messaging me on Facebook, asking me how, how to pronounce this and that and how to translate it, and uh, and he wanted to Skype with me to, you know, so, so I could help him, mm. and we did, and he was. Um, was he somebody that you knew personally before, or is he somebody yeah. that found... Okay, so you just knew a guy. Yeah, I, I just knew a guy on okay. Facebook, really. And he, he started asking me about, you know, uh, a plot for an you know, adventure module. And uh, I think like an hour later, he said, you know, well, you're getting a contract. And I was like, okay. And then it just went from there so i probably said something right yeah i don't know <laughs> I, I, I was just trying to help him mm-hmm. so and then then i had to start writing books and stuff so you you were just um so you're just kind of thrown into the deep end there then yeah but 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 i did have a lot of experience with writing you know D campaigns and stuff because i've been a game master probably 600 times Oh, okay, so just as like just as a D and D gamer, yeah. So, okay. So so I know a lot of uh, you know tricks and how to how to draw a dungeon map and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it also helped that that I'm um, that I'm uh, a big fan of reading. Right. So that's you know if you don't read you. You, you you'll have trouble writing of course yeah 
that's definitely something that um, I, I've taken a number of writing courses myself, and uh, that is definitely very common wisdom that is um, passed on from all instructors. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's um if you play a lot of role playing games as well, like, mm. like I have done, you're um, probably better equipped at doing it. And are you um, are you generally pretty focused on D and D, or do you play a lot of other different kinds? Um, well, I'm fed up with D and D. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah since I since I worked on it, it kind of lost its magic. Right. Know? So, um, but uh, I'll play anything if, if if it's fun and it you know if if it has a cool rule system. Right. And uh, but you know at the end of the day. It's who you're playing with. That's the main thing. Yeah, of course. That's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, any game or board game is is fun if you're, you know, playing with the right people. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what is kind of the process in terms of writing? Because, you know, obviously, uh, even just writing like a book is not really a straightforward process. You don't just start on page one and work your way to page uh, to the finale. So uh, already writing just a straightforward story is not a straightforward process. So I can only imagine you, uh, what is it like to write a campaign where it's just so many moving parts, where there's so many variables, so many, you know, you have to guess what people might want to do. You have to predict people are going to want to troll the game, which is what I do. Um, And you have to kind of often safeguard the game from being broken by jerk players like me well when you start writing a campaign what i do is i start with the first scene mm. and then the last scene and then i start how you know how will they get from you know being attacked by goblins on the road to defeating the evil wizard at the end mm-hmm. so so i start working backwards from the end scene so um uh, okay yeah, and then I just branch stuff out to to, to add uh, you know options for for the players and and for the DM really. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's like a lots of branching, right? Very much like those uh, you know uh, create your own adventure books. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that, and uh, the trick is though to always. Uh, try and make the players feel like they're in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. it, because you know the every player's story is their own in a role-playing game. That's it's yeah, their that's characters. Right. So um, as soon as you put them in the passenger seat, you you've done something wrong, I guess. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, actually. Uh, that, that's kind of what I don't like about a lot of games is when they put me into the passenger seat and you kind of just, you know, it, that's why I don't like overly long cutscenes. I know that's a very, that, that's a very polarizing topic amongst gamers, but I don't really like that because I'm just sort of like, well, can't I play the game? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, if you have like long cutscenes in, in a role playing game where your characters are saying all kinds of stuff, the game has taken control over your character. And mm-hmm. what your character says, which isn't that good in a in a role playing game, but it's perfectly fine if 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 you're playing as an you know an 
established character, I suppose, like, you know, in the the Witcher. Yeah. You're not really playing your own character, so it's it's fine there. Right. But in games like Dragon Age, maybe not so good. Yeah, I guess that's true too. It's been a while since I played a game with like a real established character. Um so sometimes I guess there's just a lot to be said for the execution. There's I I can say one thing and I can think of uh something that disproves that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's the there's nothing set in stone really. Mm-hmm. At so, the end of the day, it has to be entertaining and interesting. Yeah, exactly. So, um, as you start working on, as you start getting more and more into these, um, you know, writing these campaigns, uh, do you find that you sort of become the sole author of this, or do you work with a team? I worked with, uh, well, the boss, who was the, you know, well, the guy in charge, and a really great map maker fellow. Um, right. And I was the lead lead writer of the uh, the campaign book in, in the end, but uh, I don't know why. <laughs> it just <laughs> happened. I, I probably did the most work on it. Right. And, uh, so, so are I you guess. the one responsible for things like game balancing? No. No. Okay. Uh, I I didn't work with the rules stuff. Okay. So so I just um, I uh, did all the lore. Well. Not all of it, but I was, I was mostly a lore writer and a story writer. Okay. So uh, I worked a lot on the game world, and uh, and I worked on the map with the map guy. Um, Which tried to make sure it looked okay in uh, English Norwegian kind of something. Yeah. Which I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from where where I sit, generally, uh, I I personally would find that to be probably the most fun part of the job, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was because I, as soon as you start working with numbers and rules, then it stops being um, uh, real. Yeah, I guess, and it turns into a game. Uh, when you're writing, you know, about you know, lore about a fishing village and all kinds of stuff like that, you you have to trick your mind into thinking it's a real place, and then just describing the place and adding population and NPCs and all that. But as soon as you start number crunching, it's just, then it turns into something else. Yeah, no, fair enough. I totally get that. Yeah. Uh, how, how many of these did you write then? Uh, I wrote one big one, and then I I got writing credits for f- three or four other books. But... Um, I think that was just because the used stuff I had created and just put them in those books instead because they fit better there. Okay. So um, I really don't remember what I, what I did for the other books. Could, could be anything. <laughs> could be a lot. Could be nothing. I don't know. Right. Oh, well. So we, we ended up on a huge campaign book with an adventure module at the back. And uh, there was a book about magic. And one about barbarians, and something else that I can't remember. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I guess the next, uh, I guess the next thing to think about is did, did uh, now that you, not, maybe not even just this, but also through your experience as a game master, a D and D game master previously to this, but do you find that? 
this has really colored how you, what you look for, what you see when you play games recreationally? Um, not so much that, but oh, really? I, I've also studied writing, you know, how, how to craft a plot and all that. Yeah. And that can impact my gaming experiences or even when reading a book because you can you can predict the twists and turns a bit right yeah i can imagine so um yeah but uh, as, as far as games go i so so now uh, um uh so when you play like a uh, a video game so computer or console whichever one you happen to prefer do you uh are, are RPGs still your... Are they your favorite shot and game to play? Uh, yeah. I, I I think so. Um, anything with a good story and, you know, interesting... Mm-hmm. Interesting characters. But and... that part... Did, I guess that would sound like a stupid question, but I'm just sort of what I'm getting at. So that, that part didn't you didn't burn out on yet? No. Oh, okay. No, no. Um, yeah, you, you know, it's... Um, you don't burn out on good stories, I suppose. True, because I, um, I know uh, you, you and I have talked quite extensively in the past about uh, uh, you're you're a big fan of the Might and Magic series. I'm a bit. You know, we're both big fans of the of the Ultima games, and yeah. um, and you know I, I think Ultima Seven is kind of one of the pinnacles of giving the player the driving seat in a in a role playing game, and almost kind of being sandbox, but. I don't know where you kind of, uh, you know, where the line is between a sandbox game and a role-playing game, but it's just, you know, as we talked about, there's so much you can do in Ultima 7 that it kind of really doesn't get that old. Like, you can still play it today and still have fun with it just because there's so much you can do. Yeah, it's, uh, well, the the game world in Ultima 7 is certainly sandboxy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can kill the baker and take over his house if you want which I do quite often. <laughs> I, 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 I've heard of this. Yes. Uh, like I said, I, I am a jerk player who likes to see what I can get away with in games. Yeah. Well, uh, as for role-playing games, um, what I would consider a, a good role-playing game, though, is a game that gives you as many options as possible. And not just by, you know options to level up, but also options to, 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 to um, cater to your crafting of a personality in a character, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, it's not all about what you can do in combat, which seems to be the norm these days. You just f- f- fight a certain way. If a game also gives you a lot of options outside of combat, which I, I think is also... Maybe even more important than combat itself in in, in an RPG. So, um, absolutely, because I think um, uh, well, I, this is probably common knowledge by now, but I believe that in the original Fallout, there are uh, you can watch videos of people online doing passive, like pretty close to pacifist runs, where they just yeah. pretty much talk their way through the entire game. Yeah, and I, I think Planescape Torment lets you do that as well. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, you know, I, I know this is kind of uh, treasonous amongst classic gamers, but I actually have not 
uh, thoroughly played Planescape Torment. I think I started it a couple times, but never played through it. But from what I understand, it's not even really a very combat-centric game at all, is it? Uh, I'm in the same boat as you there. Uh, I've just played uh, like a third through it, and then my computer crashed. Oh. And then I bought a new computer, and I figured, well, well, three years later, I'll I'll try beating the game again. And, well, the computer crashed again. Oh, no. So now I'm... uh, I'm I'm afraid of playing it. It's, <laughs> it costs me money. <laughs> oh, so, so like crash, uh, crash, like repair shop crash. Like it's, it's not just no the... dead, oh, dead wow. crash. Oh, okay, so it's not yeah. it's not the game crashing. It's like destroying your computer. Yeah, well, something is. It's it's not the game destroying it, of course. But uh, well, at, at this point, can you even be sure of I... that? At this point, yeah. can you even be sure of that? I don't know, but uh, it's happened it twice like... now. <laughs> it feels like it feels like torment. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> uh, okay, so so what would be RPG or otherwise? What what would be your favorite game of all time, or, or not necessarily of all time? However, you want, wish to define favorite game. Maybe it's favorite game now or all time if you if you actually have a definitive choice. Uh, well, um, I, I I'd say I have a top five, but that top five keeps. You know, changing based on my mood, really. That, that's a pretty standard. Uh, that's a pretty good. Yeah. I, should, I, I should say that's actually a pretty good way to uh, have a favorite game is to have sort of like the top, the the top five that kind of consist your favorite games. But uh, okay, so what are they? Uh, well, Ultima Seven and Might and Magic Six, of course. Um, and uh, hmm, first Monkey Island game. Right, because that, that that was the first PC game I ever played. Oh, that was the very so, first one. Yeah. Oh wow, that's that's played a good place EG, to start. EGA version on a mm-hmm. black and white screen. Um, it's definitely a really good place to start, or or is it like maybe gaming just has maybe it took a while to find a game to actually live up to that again. Um. Yes. Yeah, uh, I went from Monkey Island to other adventure games. Um, I, I I got severely hooked on on that genre, really, because mm-hmm. I, I had a Commodore sixty four before that. So most of the games, you know, were action platform games. That's right. Stuff like that. So when suddenly there was a my, my dad brought out an old laptop, really, um, back back from work, and it had Monkey Island on it. I played it, and you know it was amazing. You know there was dialogue, there was a story, and really good graphics. You know for for, for its time. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think um, Monkey Island is regarded as one of the best uh, EGA games for graphics. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. So. So um. So you said that. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you're you're a huge adventure game fan. So as soon as anyone says that, of course the um. The obvious question is: I'm going to put you on. I am absolutely putting you on the spot on this one. Uh, Sierra or Lucas Arts? Um, if you had to choose one, you know Sophie's Choice. I'd pick Sierra because they had more more of a variety. Okay. Most of the Lucas Arts games tend to be, you know, humorous. I suppose. Right. While the Sierra ones had a bit of everything, 
and there were so, so so many different settings. I suppose yeah, yeah, like a police police quest, which was you know modern day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Larry, was which was basically a comedy. Yeah. And King's Quest and Quest for Glory, which had a tremendous amount of replay value. Oh God, yeah. I, I... And you got your sci-fi through Space Quest. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would say the Lucas Arts games were maybe better designed. Yeah. Because they didn't have any dead ends. Yeah, because that's always kind of like been a, a big check in their column, uh, and one of the big debates in terms of adventure games is should should we let characters or should we sorry not characters but players. Uh, should we let players dig themselves into a hole? Should we let players die uh, for their mistakes? Because yeah, no, you, usually a mistake you did half a game ago. Yeah. You you didn't pick up the acorn or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so, Simple Weed Park, I believe, um, actually like came out and said, very rather fourth wall breaking, where they actually just came out and said like, no, people should not. Uh, be able to die or get into dead ends in an adventure game. It's supposed to be challenging without having to rely on that sort of stuff. I like the Sierra deaths, though. I know, uh, and they, that's they, kind they, of that, that's kind of why I'm sort of Sierra is because I actually like those consequences. Yeah, but I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of having played for a week, getting there at the end, and then I had to do it again because I forgot about the acorn or something. There yeah. There. Yeah. At the start of the game, but you know, croaking from you know drinking from a puddle of acid and whatever <laughs> else in Space Quest was just fun. Yeah, no, for sure, and it's really cool to find the different ways to die, and that that's kind of one of the cool things I like about Quest for Glory series is that for the most part you can't. It, it's really hard to accidentally die. Like if you usually when you die, you in some way deserve it. They'll either project it or warn you, or you could have guessed, or you're being a jerk, or you'll run out of hit yeah. points. Like there'll be some way to know that you that you did something to earn that death. Yeah, the the Quest for Glory games did it better. Mm-hmm. Um, they're almost like a mix between Sierra and Lucas Arts games, though. In a certain and, way, and, I can see that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a cool thing about them, and. And also, they they added more options to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm, that's right. Than the other Sierra games, I think. So for uh, Sierra games, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one of the cool things about Maniac Mansion is that even though it was you know that's one of the that's a really early game in the life of adventure games. Um, yeah, and in the life of LucasArts in general, I can't remember exactly where it came in, but that's a very early game, and that what blew me away about that one was that there was just so many different ways. There's that whole cast of characters that you can play, and there's so many different ways you can solve puzzles. There's so many different ways you can finish the game. It was you know it's mind blowing for its time. I mean, what did it fit on? Like what one floppy disk? I think it was on one floppy disk. Mm-hmm. And it was just, there was um, so much replayability, so much game to it. There was so many options and things you could do. Yeah, and the the mansion itself um, was a fantastic location for a game. Oh, absolutely. Which which is why settings are important, um, because uh, the game world or or the setting should function as a character on its own. 
That's a very you good know, point. It, it should have a personality and and uh, you know unique traits and immersion, and and it also needs to make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what what is your favorite location in a game if you have one, or you know, or whatever, or even just off the top of your head, you, you know, you don't, you're not, we're not going to hold you accountable to this for forever. <laughs> um, my favorite location in a game, um, or setting. Oh, that's e- that's easy. Okay. The the first screen on Loom. Oh, that, good one. Yeah, that peak with a little tree next to it. Yeah. And you know, Bobbin is sitting there waking up. He's falling asleep and stuff, and. If you look at the view when when you get to see the whole island, mm-hmm. it's a perfectly superb place to fall asleep, isn't it? Yeah, you can just uh, sit there and look at the stars and maybe ships passing by. And, there's just so is, much. Um, there's just so much yeah. instant atmosphere to that game. Yeah, it instantly hits you with just uh, you know, and even at the beginning, it you know what really is it? Sort of, you're on a rocky cliff. There's a tree, some sky, uh, but it just it. You know, it's so minimal, but it's just so effective, right? Yeah, and the uh, and the first thing it says, if, if you click the leaf, it falls, and and it says, you know, last leaf of the year or something, which is foreshadowing, big time. Mm-hmm. The, That's the rest right. of the game, and things are maybe coming to an end. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, they 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 nailed the, the the start of that game. Yeah, no, that's right. So. That's kind of um, that, that, that's a that's a good point. That is kind of uh, all, all each of the different locations because there are quite a few and very unique from each other. But each one of them is very are different characters throughout the game for yeah. sure. Every every um, well faction, I suppose, in in that game has a very unique um, society. I, I suppose. Yeah. The I would even say the locations have a lot more character than a lot of the actual characters in that game. Yeah, for sure. Which is also a, a thing that the, the Quest for Glory games does really well, especially if you if you play the uh, VGA version. Yeah, you can ask characters in the game about locations. Yeah, that's right. Which really fleshes the the the, the setting out. You know, you, you can ask someone about the waterfall and they tell you about the waterfall and yeah so it's so it's not just a waterfall it actually has a name that's always more cool i think because that you know make makes you want to go there and have a look especially if there's a mystery to the location i remember um the first hero's quest my brothers and i would play it when we were we were i was very young at any rate and we were it took us a good while probably like a couple days at that time given all the um how, how slow our computer was. That's no small point in all this, but also, uh, uh, you know, it, it took us a good long while before we could actually find the Aranus piece, but everyone talked about it. So we really wanted to find it. So it was just really cool that there's this place that like, okay, where is this place that everyone keeps talking about? Yeah. And that, that's also one of my favorite locations in gaming. I think for sure. I always thought the, uh, the EGA versions looked cooler due to the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, more heart and soul, I suppose. But um, as, as far as gameplay, the uh, VGA versions ha- had um, well, they, they they had these icons which made things simpler. But um, I think they benefited the most um, when 
when it came to the uh, conversation system. Right. Because you could just click and uh, and you'd ask, and sometimes you'd get options you'd never think about. That is true well, as well. In, in in the old typing versions, you, you had to make a lot of trial and error and guesswork, really. Yeah. And you can tell that a lot of these games um, really were aware of that as an issue, and so they always found ways to um, try to solve that. In Ultima 6, it was not quite a point-and-click interface, or at least not a very refined or polished one. So a lot of it was typing in what you wanted to talk to people about. And of course, they would highlight the keywords that you're allowed to uh, to ask about in case you didn't uh, think of it. But they would say, yeah, like, you know, they would talk about it. There would be a keyword, and it'll be highlighted in red, and you know that that's something that you can ask about. Or you can also ask them about something which you thought of that maybe they'll happen to know. You know, type in a character's yeah. name, and maybe they know that person. Yeah, I remember having. Uh having a notebook next to me with keywords written down in them when I played Ultima 6 mm-hmm. <laughs> for that very reason, really. And, um, well, Ultima 6 was kind of like the last game in between there b- before everything became point and click. Yeah. Especially for, uh, especially in the Ultima series for sure. Yeah. It was, uh, like the hybrid of, uh, yeah. Cause they, they, you could see that they were trying to incorporate point and click, but they didn't quite let go of. Or, I mean, they were predominantly uh, keyboard and typing, but you can see that there was an effort to try to integrate a lot of point and click into it as well. Yeah, and a, and a lot of um, you know developers back there were pioneering everything. They, oh, absolutely. They were, you know, coming up with new ways to make games constantly, uh, which is something that's kind of gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most, you know, games seems to just emulate other games. And I don't think there's been anything really innovating being released the last four or five years, as far as I can tell. Um, I'm sure you can find probably a few things on the indie scene, uh, but definitely yeah. the AAA market has really kind of, you know, they, they have that catch 22 of they only really copy the successful games. Yeah. And therefore that's, you know, they, they find the formula that only kind of works and they basically just kind of have this, uh, this ongoing feedback loop where they just kind of like, Oh, this is successful. Therefore we're going to copy that. And since that was successful, we're going to copy that. And they're basically just, you know, the, the mouth talking into its own ear. Yeah, and you you can see it in in the game box designs as well. Mm-hmm. Almost every every first person shooter game has this guy standing in you know in, in the <laughs> middle of the artwork with something burning behind him. Yeah. This uh, that that's it. Yeah, the, so it's um, even the game box designs has gotten you know stale. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that that was one of the beauties of the big box games of the past is the creativity. Like it was it was part of the art. It was part of the uh, part of the part of the experience itself was the big box that the games came in. Yeah, and you you could tell that the, 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 there was a lot of work having been put into everything in it. You, 
he had like a huge box with some really good artwork on it and uh, you got cool manuals with all kinds of illustrations in them and lots of lore and felt more like a like a you know you you bought a big product really mm-hmm. now you just get a, a dvd cover with a disc in it and there's a manual and a pdf on it if you even get the manual yeah uh, you know, because you know, it's at the point where a lot of them just say, like, "Yeah, it's there, there, there's a the, the manual's on the disc. Just find it in there." Yeah, and a lot of the times they don't even add that. They just force you to play it through a t- tutorial for an hour. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Which I I hate it. <laughs> I really do. Especially if you want to replay a game, yeah. and the tutorial is 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 part of the story, really. Like the first chapter, yeah. Well, and you can't turn it off. There's, there's right and wrong ways to do tutorials, though, because uh, you know, yeah. obviously, between two of us, we're going to keep going back to Ultima Seven quite a bit. But Ultima Seven had a wonderful tutorial that didn't even, no one knew it was a tutorial, because it was just a really good part of the game. Yeah, it was the first uh, city. Yeah. That that was the tutorial. You had to solve a murder and. Um, and basically, in order to progress through the game, you had to solve that murder. So you had to, you know, figure out how to you know, how to talk to people, how to ask about things, how to report on things, how to observe things. Like it basically trained you, without you really realizing it. It was training you how to play the game from that point forward. Yeah, yeah, that's completely true. Oh, um, but then I, you get something like, that. but then you get some. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But then you get no, something no. like, um, okay. Um, if I recall correctly, it's been like 10 years since I played it, but I think it was Neverwinter Nights where it was a very obvious tutorial where the character, and this is a big pet peeve of mine, is when characters will actually tell you what pre- buttons to press in character. Yeah. Like they will say... Breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. And they're not even trying. It's not even like a, a smug wink to the audience. They'll just be like, okay, in order to attack that thing, press C to yeah. to, to start combat. And it's like, why are you telling me like this? Yeah, it's like someone in Neverwinter <laughs> is is aware yeah. that he's being controlled by some person behind a screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that was uh, that that was a horrible way to do it. Yeah, really. that's always my least favorite because, and that's one. Um, again, as you were getting into when you want to rep- when you want to replay these. It it those you you just those are the worst parts of the game that you just do not yeah. want to replay. Yeah, it certainly hampers you know the replay value because you have to go through that. Um, the Elder Scrolls do that as well a bit because they they stuff you into a, a dungeon where you have to use all the skills. Mm-hmm. They and you have to get through that in order to start the game. So uh, you know, the, there's there's always an, always an area where you have to sneak and there's yeah, a lock right. you have to pick and uh, you know stuff like that. Which I I don't think Morrowind had it though, but Oblivion and Skyrim certainly did. Yeah, and I can't remember exactly how they do it because I you know I, I'm at that point where I don't really replay RPGs anymore because they're just so long and big. Um, yeah. But I do know that you know there's. 
it's not so bad when there's just a place they give you a location that requires you to do this to do things and you have to figure it out versus those games where you get to a th- uh, get to a spot and you know you're interrupted by a dialogue window saying like okay so now you have to sneak past this guard so do that by sticking to the shadows and pressing this button yeah that's uh, i don't know stuff like that just takes me out of the game of course yeah i, I want to get immersed i want i want to feel like i'm in a real fantasy world yeah and when they keep reminding me that i'm playing a game it takes me out of it yeah no i i i wholeheartedly agree and it's it's kind of annoying because it's almost kind of condescending in certain ways but i don't know I, you would think that game designers would know this sort of thing so it kind of makes you wonder if it's kind of deliberate like are there just are they just counting on t- that many people who cannot figure this stuff out on their own i think it's a thing that has popped up in, in the last 10 years where they always want to cater to a bigger market right yeah, more customers, and they just want to make it accessible to to new players, which, which is perfectly fine. But they seem to assume that the new player has never touched a computer or a console before. Yeah, so it's like those, you know, if if you had like computer classes at uh, classes at school when you were a kid, of course, and they yeah. were te- teaching you what the space button did. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It's, it feels kind of like that in, in some games. For sure. And I, I just kind of wonder to myself sometimes, though, too, is sort of like, well, just because they haven't, just because they're new gamers, like, you know, isn't this kind of still kind of insulting that they can't, to expect that they can't figure it out? Like, can't you just, you know, just because someone's new to gaming, does that necessarily mean you should treat them like they know nothing? Yeah. And, and also, if if people buy games, right, especially kids, they buy them because they want to play them and they want to learn how to play the game. And they do that just by playing. I've been playing some old games with my nephew recently. I've been babysitting him. And I don't have to explain anything to him. Mm-hmm. I just tell him, you know, if you, if you press this button, you, you, you open doors and stuff. And that, that one let makes you shoot stuff right and the rest he just figures out himself it's just completely proficient after five minutes yeah there's a and then he beats me of course <laughs> of so, course yeah 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 it's um it's a lot um like how you treat new players when you play D D as well um, people who haven't played it before you you just um start off the game in a safe zone really and uh, and let them use their skills and stuff like that so, so they get into all the dices and yeah stuff like that mm-hmm. well anyways uh, I think that's about all the time we have for today but thank you very much for joining us uh, for joining me rather as if I, I do not I am not multiple people unfortunately uh, but th- uh, thanks for thanks for coming by and thanks for um, thanks for the chat yeah thanks for having me and um I hope uh, hope I made some sense in <laughs> in between. I think you made more sense than I did. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll let the guild people decide. <laughs> well, I'd love to have you back one of these days at any rate. So um, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll uh, but thank you very much for thanks for coming by. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, talking games. <laughs>